is like how dirty I am when I walk out of the shower and I'm still streaming wet versus I have used a towel on my body. What are we talking about now? We're going to talk about environmental working group. Woot. I, okay. I'm really happy we're talking about this because I mean, I know roughly what it is. I know that there's an app. I know that if I want to like see how clean or dirty or whatever, um, a particular product is, I can go to said app and like, look it up and basically anything three or less is better for you. And anything over three has got, um, stuff in it. That's going to kill you. Right. I don't know. Something like <laughs> totally. that. Totally. <laughs> yeah. That's what they want you to think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what do you know about it, Annika? I feel like this is something Annika could like spout some knowledge on. <laughs> Go. I mean, uh, it's funny. I'll be honest. I actually, I have, I've used it extensively. Um, in particular to look up specific ingredients, I actually use it for much. And this is just like, this is who I, this is me having input as one of my top strengths. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in looking up somebody else's rating of a particular product. I want to look up and see like, what is this individual ingredient within something? Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I find it really helpful because a lot of times you look at, if you're reading a label and you look at something and you're like, that sounds terrifying. And you look it up and it's like the scientific name for coconut oil. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, you're like, it's fine. just a Latin word for <laughs> <Totally>. water. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so that's, that's okay. There you go. Do you have the app? I don't have the app. I literally just go to the website because okay. I was born in the eighties yeah, and yeah, yeah. I still <laughs> default to websites. <laughs> I think I have the app. Maybe I don't have the app. Let me just check here. So the app is on the internet. The app is called Skin Deep. I could not find an app called Skin Deep on my app store. So I downloaded the Environmental Working Group app um, and I looked at that. So I don't know if it's like an American app maybe that we can't get in Canada for the name Skin Deep, but Mm -hmm. the concept's still totally the same. Um, yeah, so this was my, so I knew of environmental working group. They're the ones that do the dirty dozen and the clean 15. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. So this is them. Um, I'm just going to give you their slogan in the chat. (laughs) Let me know what you think of that. Oh, you have questions. We have answers. Do you know? That's cool. Great. (laughs) Doesn't it just make you give the biggest sigh when someone's like, we know the answer. And it's like, there is an answer. There is an objective truth and we've got it for you. That, that's where people lose me right there is that like conclusive because what that does is it really takes people's uncertainties and they're like, you can trust us. We know the answer. And it's like in this world of ever changing and evolving science and data, like it's changing and that's not really well encompassed by sort of these finite statements. You know, if they have the answers, do they have a whole team of people for whom their whole and entire job is just living in scientific journals, looking at like the most up-to-date, most current research and findings on all of the like million billion ingredients they've got in there? Or creating that research because we know that there are big gaps. Yeah. You know, it's a great segue. So, so it started in the nineties and as we know, finding information on the internet from the like pre-internet really is a bit challenging. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, waiting like 45 minutes for your dial up for like one web page. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, but initially like there are grassroots, like sort of like a lot of really well-intended groups. Um, they did do some lobbying and they actually did seem to work with government a bit. So they, um, were part of, so their founder, one of the co, so they have one of these things where there's like, Ken Cook is their co-founder, but they don't really mention the other founders. So I'm not sure if that's because they want to be more silent partners or what, but anyway, mm-hmm. so Ken Cook is the name that comes out. Um, and so he, it was, so environmental working group was created, co-founded by Ken Cook in 1993. And they actually did. So I don't know the, the quality of the research or the extent of it. However, their research was a major factor in the passage of the pesticide reform law, the Food Quality Protection Act in the States. So at hmm. some point, they genuinely seem to um, be like lobbying appropriately in a way that did elicit some change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what the Food Quality Protection Act, it basically, it's like a mandated health-based standard for pesticide use in food. Um, and 
yeah. So it's just like looking at streamlining approval for safe pesticides, um, establish some incentives for creating safer pesticides. Um, and it may make sure that pesticide registrations remain current. So like, this all sounds really good to be honest. Mm. Right. Yeah. Well, I, this feel, is the I feel there's nothing bad about that. Yeah, me too. And you know what? I think that maybe there is, I mean, whatever, when you get to enough levels of government, like you can find all sorts of issues on anywhere if you really want to look for them. But like on the surface here, like they made some change that looks like it's genuinely quite positive. Um, so they do, they're technically a non-for-profit. Um, but I feel like that term really doesn't to me mean a ton. Cause I know there's a lot of issues with not-for-profits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, a lot of profit to be made in the not-for-profit world. There really is. I know. So I don't know which, and I, I, I shouldn't say, unfortunately, cause I actually have a, a lot of feelings about that. In I do, because I do think that if you want good people to bring um, attention to a non-for-profit, you have to pay them. Yep. Right. Like, so there's, there's like a whole side of it, right? Like to, in order to get media and attention and whatnot, like for like these big cancer agencies and things like that, like you really need to have the right people there. And how do you get the right people there money? So yes, totally a different conversation. Um, and I agree with you, Annika, I think, um, there's definitely a lot of, there's a lot of nuance and complexity within, um, non-for-profits. I feel like it's really easy to kind of demonize like they're making money when like the reality is we live in a capitalist system and that's how people. Well, um, and what honestly, what's wrong with making money like at the basic, (laughs) like there's nothing wrong with paying people appropriately for work too. Yeah. Okay. Um, totally different conversation, but I super hear you in this. Yeah. I could go on forever about that. Cause yeah, like, I mean, I'm a business owner. I should be paid for the work that I'm doing as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately and not super surprisingly, uh, they did jump on the anti-vax train um, during the Andrew Wakefield era. Um, now, I will say this. This is 2004. Wakefield's paper is not retracted um, until mm. 2010. And during this period in sort of the mid-2000s, there was a lot of... Um, the scientific community was pretty like, no, 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 no. Like, this is really bad methodology. And we're the sample size is small. And like, we don't feel good about this. But like, the there was a lot of people... Um, like, like higher profile people asking questions. We'll use that term, but like actually asking questions because there was conflicting information. <laughs> However, argue for the sake of argument, but yeah. actually legitimately trying to understand if there's yeah. something more to be known here. So, like, well, I think it's widely accepted that Andrew Wakefield. I mean, we don't even need to talk about that POS, but like he, all the things that he did, like it's he doesn't have a medical license. All the all the things, but in 2004, the paper had not been retracted yet. Um, he had lost his medical license, but it had kind of made it seem like it was um, political and whatnot. And he was in the States at this point. So um, the the climate at the time isn't the climate now where we look back and we're like, this was all a load of complete garbage. It was like, maybe, maybe something. So I don't know. But they did, however, take the step of publishing their own report called Overloaded that um, talked about the alleged link between vaccines and autism and attacked the Institute of Medicine for concluding that no such link exist existed. Mm-hmm. So they, they kind of like really sort of dug their heels into that stance and like, like literally made a report on it and criticized medicine medicine for saying this, you know, the link isn't there. And they're like, yeah, so there's that they, all of this stuff is no longer on their website, of course, but there's like, you know, those, um, like archived things people do right archived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the other thing environmental working group is huge in is they're very anti-GMO and medically genetically modified foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because you cannot be have organic, um, certification if you have any, anything genetically modified in the food and they are funded by organic corporations. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> mm-hmm. sh- shocker, they are funded by large organic corporations. Um, they are, uh, also, um, sort of intertwined within a lot of different boards. Like they're a lot of the employees and like the presidents and CEOs within um, environmental working group are on different boards for organic companies and whatnot. So there's very much like this, like intertwinement between the organic industry and corporations, um, and environmental working group. Um, and they don't fully disclose their donors. Hmm. So they do have some of their donors are disclosed. Um, and some of them are not. So a hunt, so it's not sort of transparent where all of their um, funding comes from. 
Mm-hmm. I honestly, though, grain of salt, I suspect that if you looked at any non-for-profit, you would probably find a good chunk of them that also don't have full disclosure of all of their donor breakdown. Right. So I don't want to make it, I don't want to demonize them for that because I think that's probably relatively probably standard. standard. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, it's just yes. important for transparency, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. For transparency, like what they are doing, I don't think is actually going to be grossly different from other comparable sized non-for-profits in terms right. of their transparency. Um, Ken Cook, the uh, co-founder, he's the president. Um, his reported income was $289,000 in 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, and they sort of say this to show like, Hey, like, like, look, we're not paying our president, our founder, huge amounts of money, but I think it's like, really doesn't take a deep reporter to, to know that a reported income (laughs) isn't like, like any smart business person is going to have stacked in corporations. There's going to be holding companies. There's going to be, they're going to have stock options that don't technically count as reported income, but can be literally millions of dollars. And also too, yeah. And also too, like if this is reported from 2015, you know, the climate around all of this stuff has, has really blown up over the last Mm -hmm. you know seven years like and it's an interesting thing because as someone who's like regularly has to look at studies now (laughs) for my master's and took a whole course on basically how to read and understand studies properly you know one of the key things like anytime I write a paper I'm like not even I'm I'm like not allowed to use research that's more than 10 years old totally um and that's Mm -hmm. even just within psychology that has nothing necessarily to do with like you know chemical it was five years for us yeah. Sense, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, while I appreciate the number from 2015 and the attempt to be, um, you know, whatever transparent, um, to me, that number very well now could be in the multi-millions and oh, like yeah, what yeah. you said in all likelihood, you know, his reported, like if that's his salary, I mean, that's cool, but like, totally. who knows what he's doing outside of that. And also, yeah is that our business? Like, is it our business to know how much money he's taking out from outside of that? Like, that's where I kind of think to myself, like, it's important for us not to get too morally necessarily around Mm -hmm. someone's earnings. If you're good at what you do and then you're good at what you do. If you're taking hush money, (laughs) that's a different story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you know, like, anyways, it it kind of reads, it kind of reads like, um, a little showy, like, look, our CEO, our president only makes this much. We're such good people. And it's like, well, I mean, that was there isn't seven anything years ago. Apparently and... evil about money, actually. Totally. No. Yeah. yeah. And the thing yeah. is, is that like, if you sit on a bunch of boards, those boards pay really well. So we could go into this forever. But yeah, like, yeah. So I mean, for what it's worth, I just found it interesting that like one of their advertising points is seemingly showing how like air quotes, little money, the president mm-hmm, mm-hmm. has on his reported income. And I'm like, oh, that's seven years old. And yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and reported income is, I mean, I guarantee you that he has a excellent um, accountant because mm-hmm. he should, as you should, as you should, I would as you should. Does. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, do you guys know, let's talk about the dirty dozen here. Do you know how they make the list? I, I have not. no idea, but I'm super curious. I'm oh my God, it's such garbage. I can't even <laughs> believe that this is their methodology. Okay. So every year, uh, the, the, so the USDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, um, every year does a pesticide data program. So they, they randomly sample pesticide residues on fruits and veggies um, and uh, different foods, organic, non-organic, and they make sure that these things are basically, it's like a giant audit, right? Every year. And it's all random. And they make sure that, uh, everything's sort of coming in underneath the, um, the minimum or the maximum tolerance for these pesticide, um, residue to be on food. And then every year the environmental working group. So, and then I believe it takes two years before that's published because it's like so big. So it's like this revolving door. So like, you'll get the info from two years ago out and then because it takes so long to compile there's like two million line items that they do mm-hmm. so it like takes forever to put all this together 
they have like 600 testing sites. They do this throughout the States. And so it's this really big comprehensive program. It feels like a really big pivot table. I just am going to say as somebody who loves Excel, that makes my head hurt a little bit. <laughs> oh, totally. So how many people are going to go read 2 million like rows on it? No These are public. You can go find them, but nobody does that. 2 million, please. And so what the environmental working group does is they take the air quotes, most contaminated foods, and that's the dirty dozen. Hmm. So, so that just means, and, but this is where it's interesting. So they might not test like strawberries one year. Oh, hmm. <laughs> okay. What? So like, because they, it's super random, right? So they're doing this audit, they're testing like literally every food, every, everything, 2 million line items so but they might not do they're not going to get every single food every single year right so (laughs) so it's an incomplete list totally so there's always huge gaps of course well as there would be because this is auditing this isn't like uh you know what i mean like it's not quality control leaving a factory this is an audit everything's already out in the public an individual scrub data level totally it's like as a nurse i have to do a criminal records check x every x amount of years right like it's like I don't have to do it every year. I right. self-disclose You could do something years. really bad. In yeah, and I self-disclose if I've been, yeah, exactly, right. Right. totally. So, huh. yeah. Ah, yeah, I go. didn't know that. I know, interesting, hey? Um, it's funny because you just assume from the way that it's talked about that it literally is like an individual line item data scrub. It feels you, like that's it also it sounds be. like the way that they advertise it that they are doing all of the right. testing. They are not. They are, they are basically taking the data that the USDA puts out and they're going, okay, well, the, basically the most pesticides were found on, and by most, I mean, um, the most recent number I could find is from 2011. So super old, but for example, um, for all the commodities tested in 2011, 0.018% of residues were higher than the tolerance level and more than half uh, were more than a hundred times lower than the tolerance level. Huh. So you're talking about things that are above, like that are over this tolerance level. It's 0.18% from huh. one year and year over year, it's 99% of the, like the average is 99% of the products are below the pesticide tolerance levels. Huh. So it's kind of like when you hear a study that's like, you know, 50% of people lost weight in this study. And then it's like the sample size was like six people. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, Got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And here's the thing. Uh, organic foods are tested, but organic foods are such a small percentage of like the overall like foods that are available in the United States that they will never end up at the top of the list just by pure numbers. Like you will never have organic foods show up as the most heavily contaminated because they are such a small percentage of the overall number. So, so like there, the argument that like the organic ones are way less, you know, contaminated, blah, blah, blah. But based on this data, it's like, but yeah, there's like a tiny, tiny handful. So if you say you did like three strawberry farms and that are organic and a hundred percent of them were above tolerance, but you did like the other, like 3000 of the regular ones were fine, then, then it balances out in the wash. Right. Like, so, so they're testing all of this stuff. Um, and oh yeah, this is another good one. One year snap peas were considered the worst food, like the dirtiest food, but the, the pest, the pesticide trace levels were 94% below the tolerance level, (laughs) but they were the dirtiest. But then this is what gets put out to the public. It's like, Snap peas are dirty. They are full of pesticides. It's like, well, no, they had the highest pesticide levels, but they were still 94% below the, the tolerance level for pesticide residue. Right. Huh. And uh, Jenny, this might be a real off topic question, but do you know anything about how they determine what, what tolerance level is? So that's all like, so no, I don't know the exact how they do. This is like toxicologists, like figure out like okay. what these tolerance levels are. Yeah. This, it's like a super niche thing. They like look at the different, cause it's not just about, it's like anything, it's all dose related and over yes. time. Right. Yes. So it's like, yes. the, 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 these are tolerance levels that toxicologists have decided, um, that are safe for, um, humans to consume and they focus on safe for children to consume. So they're not looking at like necessarily adults. It's like, these are tolerance levels that would be our, that, that are deemed safe for kids. Huh. Interesting. I feel like there's probably like a further dive into like 
is that problematic or not? But I do actually appreciate that it's like they're looking at tolerance on children rather than adults, because the reality is how many people are buying organic because they're concerned about their kids, right? Like, so that's exactly why they started. And this is exactly where we find out, um, the contamination level in organic foods is because when you look at those giant samples, um, with the organic mixed with the non-organic, when you go down to baby foods, there's like a way higher percentage of baby foods that are organic yep. because of marketing and because of, you know, that exact sort of fears that parents have. And, um, they found like, oh, did I write the number down? Um, no, I didn't. So the organic foods, first off, the thing that Environmental Working Group never once mentions anywhere is that organic farms use pesticides. Yes, they just use right. organically approved. They pesticides. use organically approved pesticides. They right. are still pesticides. Yeah. So there's no mention. They basic makes it sound like there's like pesticides or no pesticides, which is categorically not true. Right. Um, and the reason we use pesticides, like we would not be able to feed enough of the population if we didn't use pesticides. Right. Because yeah, of as the amount of food has... waste and like, yeah, yeah, like you just wouldn't be able to meet the needs, um, you know, to feed people. Yeah. Like as somebody who has her own little garden and I don't put anything on it, <laughs> I can yeah, tell you. A lot of shit gets eaten by bugs. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you that last year I ate zero of my kale. Because these like <laughs> kale moths came and yes. like put aphids all over it and I couldn't eat a damn leaf and I was mad about it. Anyway. Totally. Yeah. Oh yeah. The waste that comes from organic farm. And and to be clear and to throw bias here, I buy most of my produce is organic and I will still, even after doing all this, still do that because I am just who the person that I am. Um, but it just goes to show. Yeah. Um, and the we other don't, thing- We don't know as much as we think we do. Right. No, totally. And the other yeah. thing is, is organic um, pesticides are also toxic if you have them in large enough quantities. Right. <laughs> Water is toxic if you have it in enough quantities. Of course. Yeah, right. totally. And the thing is, is that you actually see a reasonable amount of cross-contamination because if Annika has an organic strawberry farm and Lee mm-hmm. has a traditional strawberry farm and they are side by side and there's, I don't know, wind or <laughs> rain and runoff and stuff like Lee's mm-hmm. pe- for, like pesticides are going to end up on Annika's farm. Mm-hmm. And as long as Annika's done all of her organic certification stuff, her like six years or whatever period of time that she's proved all that, like, there you go. Huh. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to slag organic foods because I don't think there's, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, Hey, like we feel like there's opinions that maybe some of these pesticides are um, less toxic or all of these things. But the thing that I don't, this is my personal experience when I was, um, really, uh, into everything being very clean and I was, it was almost became an orthorexia situation because Dave would come home with blueberries and they weren't organic blueberries. And I was like, I don't think where you can let our children eat those. Like as if Mm -hmm. one pint of blueberries was going to be like neurotoxic to my children. It's now all my kids have cancer because I let them eat seven blueberries that because they had may or may not have pesticide residue on them even actually. Totally. And this is the challenge, right? Because with language, like the dirty dozen. Oh, Mm -hmm. it's intentional for sure. Like that's super intentional. It's highly moralizing, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's designed. I mean, that's, it's designed to strike fear. And the problem is, is that I mean, in the first place, blueberries are a good example because, you know, <laughs> nobody who's lower income is buying fresh, fresh blueberries, conventionally grown or organic. Any doesn't matter. They're just yeah, too expensive. They're so expensive. But I mean, a, a, a little thing of conventionally grown blueberries are going to be $6 and the organic ones are nine. So, right. mm-hmm. you know, again, you're, you're creating this situation where wealth is able to be conflated with purity and cleanliness mm-hmm. and intelligence mm-hmm. and intentionality, right. Which mm-hmm. again, Bingo. does a real number <laughs> on, you know, on people's hearts and on their, on their mental health and how they feel, you know, you've got this mom who like is reading that 
you know, she's effectively killing her kid because she's giving them non-organic fruit, but she legitimately is stretched to the nines to be able to provide even just fresh fruit in the first place. Mm -hmm. Totally. And that is the biggest criticism that the dirty dozen. And first off, they did a survey in 2009, the center for health and risk communications did. And 79% of the toxicologists that they surveyed said that the environmental working group exaggerated the health risk from the, from chemicals. Huh. Interesting. I don't I know f- if that was like right. Ten like, toxicologists. He, I don't he know. Said if, she said a little but bit. Like maybe, I just but... was like, kind of had a giggle. I was like, well, I mean, because because it's this fear mongering, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we know that eating fruits and vegetables is good for us. And the concern you know, really lies in people that are going to maybe, if they're trying to make healthy food choices, actually avoid healthy foods yes. because they're not organic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, and this is where I think it's, if you want to go on a no GMO, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know what? Maybe that's how apples are affordable for some people. Yes. Uh, well, and it's because they're genetically we... modified and covered in wax. Right. Like, so they last longer. Like, I, I, I think most people would agree that somebody who's struggling financially, it's if they can eat, you know, things like apples and and some sorts of fresh fruits and vegetables, that's gonna K- be better kale than kale that didn't get yeah, eaten by kale bugs. Kale yeah. that didn't get eaten by the kale. Right? Like My this is gonna kale. be better for them and have, you know, better all all the things that come with eating well. I'm not talking about clean, I just mean well, like mm-hmm. to fuel your brain and to fuel your body. You're gonna make choices that are gonna be healthier if you can if you're not going to be afraid of the fucking apples. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think especially as we're looking at out of control inflation right now, conversations are so important for families to understand that there's so much that we don't actually know. And if, you know, it's affordable and I I'm kind of like you, Jenny, it's like, well, I don't, I feel like there are gaps in what we know. And so where I can, I'm going to continue to default to organic because I feel good about that choice, but that's also because I can, it's not something that I feel needs to be prescriptive for everybody. Because to your point, what's more important at the end of the day that we're feeding our kids apples or that we're feeding our kids organic non-GMO apples. Yeah. And I mean, we in the last little bit have really changed our shopping habits just around here and one of the things that I started to notice is that especially in the wintertime, I mean, granted, we live in Canada, especially in the wintertime, the selection of available mm-hmm. produce uh, in the supermarkets where I live, which are probably not that much different from anywhere else, um, the produce is actually better quality conventionally grown than the organic mm-hmm. stuff. Of course. Yeah. Because if you're chucking something in from Chile. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, I mean, we can get into a whole conversation around eating like, you know, seasonally and locally. And I mean, I did that with my family for a whole year and, you know, I didn't eat a banana for like a whole year. It was kind of bananas. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But like, you know, the, the challenge is too, is that if I'm looking at, let's say organic apples versus conventionally grown apples in my average grocery store near, nearby um, nine times out of 10, in non-peak season, mm-hmm. the conventionally grown apples look better. They are not as shrunken. They have better, like crispness to them, you know, and I don't know if it's because there's just so many more of them that they're able to have, you know, storage facilities or whatever that just work better. But at the end of the day, like, you know, how many times, I will ask you this question. How many times have you bought organic grapes basically home? They're already moldy. Come on, come on. Well, and organic, like a lot of things, like it's just, they don't, I mean, they literally, of course it doesn't have the shelf life because it doesn't have the things to extend shelf life. Yeah, Yeah. totally. And I mean, like, sorry, go on. No, I just think to your point, exactly, Lee, it's like, what, what is actually more damaging long-term for our health and for the planet? Mm -hmm. Food waste is a huge contributor to climate change right now. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And that's not a conversation we're having if we're having a conversation about what's quote unquote dirty and clean. Right. Especially if the difference between dirty and clean 
<laughs> is, is like, actually non-existent <laughs> is like how dirty I am when I walk out of the shower and I'm still streaming wet versus I have used a towel on my body one time. <laughs> yeah. That's the difference in dirt seemingly. I mean, like when we're talking about a percentage that's so low now, I grant it there's high toxicity, you know, in a lot of these conventional pesticides. And I think, I think it's a reasonable thing to, you know, just have this as an awareness, but if you knew just how little it was Hmm, mm -hmm. and you know, how assuming that you have a body that works, like you have a functioning liver and you have a functioning, you know, (laughs) digestive system, your body is built to filter all that stuff out, you know? Well, and I think it's also, it's like eating, there's nothing wrong with eating organic. No. The problem lies is when you like evangelicalize it and you make it like this and you pedestalize it and you you make it a moral, to your Mm -hmm. point, a moral issue. And it's like, no, no, it's just, it's food. Yep. And not everybody can eat the same foods. And rather than um, potentially judging, because I know there were times with a previous friend group who like were, and I remember messaging, Dave got like non-organic blueberries and they were all like, Oh my God, like you can't eat those. So even if I, (laughs) as I was like, do I let my kids eat them? This group of women was like, you can't let it like, no, that's so bad. Yeah. Then I was like, well, now we absolutely can't eat the blueberries. Yep. Right. Which is stupid. Mm -hmm. It's stupid. And like, I didn't even feel judged as much as like, Oh, we definitely can't do this. But if I was struggling, Mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. feed my kids well and and then feeling judgment for like having non-organic like produce mm-hmm. that's just that's the thing I can't even as I'm saying it it sounds so ridiculous but I see it so frequently mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. narratives right now about clean eating and even mm-hmm. stuff like for people that like skincare sites that are like clear up your skin make sure you're eating organic food where is the link between inorganic food and and your skin not being clear yeah. Where is that data? Cause I'd love to see it. Yeah. Totally. You know, it just kind of becomes this, this waterfall for all of the usual claims, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I actually, the more I learn about how little we truly understand about nutrition, the mm-hmm. more interesting I find all of the things that we've connected it to. And mm-hmm. again, Jenny, kind of to what you were saying earlier, it's not that eating well doesn't matter, but I think a lot of what we believe to be completely canon truth actually Mm -hmm. is based on junk science at best Mm -hmm. or somebody's whim at worst. (laughs) Well, and who's funding it, Mm -hmm. right? Because like, if you're so much of, I mean, people have to, the problem with research is it's really expensive and someone has to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And it's not always going to be educational institutions that are going to pay for it. It can't be simply by merit of there just is too much to be done. (laughs) No. And the thing is, is if I, so like, if I wanted to do, um, data to say that like my company's body oil, um, has, if I want to make claims about it and I want to study that I have to fund the studies, right? I have to do it. Like I have to pay for all that to happen, which is fine. But then that first round of data that comes from self-funded studies is like, yeah, but who paid for it? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so you, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very complex situation. And until something gets to a high enough level that you have like institutions that are like academic institutions that are prepared to start putting their interest in for, for research, like, yeah, you're looking at a lot of self self-funded stuff. Right. And it's not to say that the data that comes out of those is bad, but if you're, you know, doing your due diligence and tracing it all, it, it just gets, it gets kind of muddy and complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So the skin deep app. So this was going to be my next question is, are oh, we, yeah, yeah. are we, do we get to talk about, about all the rest of the things? Cause I know obviously the yeah. food is a piece, but I know a, a personal care yeah. products is huge. Personal care products is huge. And I will have a whole thing on the clean beauty industry, because like I said, I have yes. my product is it could fall under the category of clean beauty. And I actually am actively by within the next six weeks, I'm doing a website overhaul and I'm going to really, um, do my best to clear out a lot of verbiage that gets confused with um, clean beauty rhetoric. Um, but the thing that you really have to be aware of, and I just want to put this out there because this is a personal bias, is you have to factor in SEO and marketing. Mm. And if I take every single, and this is something that I'm going to do, but so let's not make this about me. If, if Environmental Working Group takes out all what we would consider problematic language, they will, people won't be able to find them. Mm-hmm. 
and SEO is real. Mm-hmm. When I type in environmental working group or EWG, they come to the top. They're the most populated and they're coming because of, it's a very complex in, as to why they're showing up at the top. And it could, part of it is probably paid um, to Google, mm-hmm. but also like it's, it's just volume of people searching that. Um, but they're also putting in SEO, like the way they're coding their website and all these things, they've got their customer avatar. They've, they, they're, so if you know, even if you don't want to use any problematic and using air quotes, language, but you know, your customer avatar probably eats organic food. You're going to use the organic food and you're going to pull stuff that you think organic food eating people would mm-hmm. search. So mm-hmm. non-toxic skincare, not, you're going to start looking at other things. And this is just, um, good marketing. Mm-hmm. This is how, this is how you get a customer base. So it is tricky to, to, I, I wouldn't want to ever say a company should never use any problematic language because I also respect that that's how you get outlying customers. Even if you're mm-hmm. not a problematic business, you're going to need to, like, I guarantee you companies like SkinCeuticals and like definitively not clean companies use search terms that attract clean beauty people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they want people to come and buy their stuff. Right. So I think it's just really important to recognize that the marketing is complex and as, as sort of, you know, altruistically you want to say, Hey, we shouldn't use terms like this. Like it's a business, right. Mm -hmm. And you got to kind of balance that out. Right. Without, um, you know, so I don't want to totally make it sound, I don't know. I just want to appreciate that there, there is a complexity that goes in that there's always capitalism running in the background. Totally. Totally. Always. Yeah. 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 Now having said that, I do think that I don't love the term dirty dozen clean 15. I think those are very intentionally used words. Um, and I don't love how they've essentially kind of cherry picked data from a sheet of essentially safe foods mm-hmm. and said, these foods are the worst for you of the safe foods is basically. Well, and I think to least point, it just becomes so judgmental, right? Totally. Yeah. This space that is so you're either dirty or you're clean. You're yeah. right. Or you're wrong, you know, totally. Yeah. It's very moralizing or moralized language. And it just doesn't, I don't think that's necessary. Um, so their app, like I said, I tried to search on my app store, the think dirty or sorry, think dirty is a competitor, (laughs) um, which I could find their app. The environmental working groups app is called skin deep and I could find an environmental working group app, but it wasn't called skin deep. So I'm not sure if that's because I have a Canadian app store or what, but I definitely found the app. Like based on the screenshots I took. Um, So what it is, is it gives like a, they call it a hazard rating, which is very alarmist. Mm -hmm. Um, And they score products from a zero to 10 on how safe they are based on the ingredients. It's a little bit unclear, excuse me, how they determine, like if something has fragrance in it sometimes, and I think fragrance would be one that um, most people would say like, oh, I don't want any artificial fragrance. Fragrance is tricky because there are rules with- Fragrance is tricky because you can use essential oils as your fragrance and some um, like regulatory bodies will require you to say there's natural fragrance in Mm -hmm. the, in the product. And that's just like, and you have to, to meet labeling standards. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, so they, when people say like, oh, fragrance, you never want fragrance. It's like, yeah, but like some, some regulatory labeling requirements might actually require that product to say natural fragrance. Right. Um, so anyways, the way that the app actually makes money because newsflash, it makes money because Uh, capitalism. (laughs) So you have to pay for certification. So for your product to be certified as an EWG approved product, you Mm. pay for that and you pay per product. So it's not a company. So like my company's Leaping Bunny certified to because it's cruelty free. We just have to th- put Leaping Bunny um, in contact with all of our wholesale um, providers for where we get all ingredients. They and they go through and they say, "Yep, like the the paper tra- all of these tracing back to the sourcing of these products. There's been no cruelty to animals. Your company is Leaping Bunny certified. But anytime you add products, you need to update." Um, whereas this is per product. So, and you pay for it. Leaping bunny, you don't pay, you pay for this. So it would be like, let's say you've got like a dish soap and a counter cleaner. You could pay to have the dish soap certified, but if you don't pay, then the counter cleaner is not certified. Correct. Got it. Correct. Um, 
the other thing that's kind of funny is when you go through and they have, so if you look up a product that scores poorly, they'll, they'll have like an, some of the products have like that are on Amazon. Um, if the product is available on Amazon, you will see a click, like a link to purchase through Amazon. Right. And it's an affiliate link. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this is super dirty, but if you do decide you want to buy it, please make sure you do it through our affiliate link. Yeah. Right. Which is not disclosed as an affiliate link, by the way, but I, maybe it is somewhere in the fine print on the app, but just not on the page. I just find that really funny that they actually link to the product. Gosh. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to send you a screenshot. Um, for, I just, this is, it doesn't matter what the, um, the, the item is, it's just so you can see like how it, it looks. Okay. Um, I just, I don't want, there's two. So I want to send the right one first. Okay. So I'm sending this now. There's the first one. And just tell me what you see. Downloading. Click to open. Beauty counter beyond gloss Dahlia. Yeah. I literally just picked something I recognized. Yeah. Um, okay. So describe like how they lay it out. So it's got the product at the top, which obviously is like a product shot from beauty counters own website. Um, it has an opportunity to save this. So like, if you want to create or share it, so like send it to somebody to say X, Y, Z, uh, beauty counter beyond gloss in Dahlia shade, I'm assuming. And then lip gloss. And then it has three sections it says allergy, cancer, and developmental goodness. So this has a green, it's like a, you know, like a danger. What am I trying to say? It's almost like, you know, how, when you're like driving, traffic you like, like, it'll be like yeah, a red, right. green. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yellow. So this one, so it has a green rating in allergy, a green rating in cancer and a green rating in developmental goodness. Um, mm -hmm. and then it has ingredients below. I can't see all of them, but it has no. the individual, uh, rating for each of them. And at the top, it has uh, the, the first one is FDNC yellow number five lake, uh, which has a rating of four, which is in and the what color zone. is the rating. It is a yellow rating. Yes. So it's a little alarmist, isn't it? Mm -hmm, quite. It has okay, a color. So I'm going to show, of course it's a color. It's a tinted so lip gloss. So I'm going to oh. send you another photo and now you're going to see at the top of this photo, there's a number and beside data, there's a word. Oh, data, none. Intriguing. What? <laughs> About FD&C yellow number, number five. In industrial production of colorants, lake is a term used for pigments or dyes that are precipitated with metal salts, such as aluminum, calcium, barium, or others. Some of the lake dyes may be derived from naturally occurring plant or animal ingredients, but the vast majority of lake, uh, lakes is synthetically produced from coal, tar, or petroleum. Which kind of tells you nothing because it's like this could come from um, plants or petroleum, but we're not, we don't know which. Yeah. Like I used to you use, know I mean? like, like, that's not a useful phrase. No. And I used to use like lake pigments when I was painting in art school. Like, totally. this is okay. Well, I also, so this is interesting. The, the data is none, but then at the bottom mm -hmm. it says other concerns, use restriction low, yep. neurotoxicity moderate. So there's no data, but you can tell me that there's a moderate mm -hmm. concern for neurotoxicity. For neurotoxic, yeah, I know. Isn't that fascinating? How, how, no but, data, but, but exactly. How? I mean, exactly. I can understand. Exactly. So I can understand the neurotoxicity moderate if it happens to be a calcium, barium, or other aluminum, a mineral, a metal salts, right? Because we know that like barium and aluminum, for example, are, um, you know, not great to ingest if we can avoid it, right? Aluminum has been linked to Alzheimer's and so on and so forth. But it says right on there that it could be from plants. Mm -hmm. And it says that they don't know where it's from. They, ha mm -hmm. they have no data, but still, here's what we're going to tell you about it. And this is the thing. Yeah. They have, they, are, they disclose there's, they actually say no data, but then give all of these, this like, like what hypothesize, like it, I right. mean, clearly it auto populates and it's, it, and like you say, Lee, it's probably because there's such a spectrum for this dye yeah. um, that you know, it just pulls everything from the spectrum, but like you could look at this product that's a low score, but I don't know. I'm confused when I look at it. I'm like, right. okay, so this is all green, but then there's this ingredient that you don't have any information on. Um, and it's a four and it's telling me that is a moderate risk of neurotoxicity. 
but there also isn't any data for that but just so you know there but there's no data that. for it right? <laughs> huh and it is like the and, whole app <laughs> and this is and this is quote unquote verified right so if you're looking at i just yeah. want to go through i want to find the best things i want the cleanest ingredients you would look at what's verified because the assumption would be that must be the cleanest mm-hmm. well and also if we're to go back to you know the rating things the allergy cancer developmental and use restrictions like this is really language that feeds directly into over concern mm-hmm. and potentially all the way through into or orthorexic behaviors. totally totally it's very alarmist and it's very alarmist it's very judgmental too like because here's the thing like sure we know that some things have been linked to cancer okay fine Unfortunately, there's not a lot of conclusivity around that, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of it time, it's like, you know, again, we're trying to create really finite, tight, yes, no answers Mm -hmm. to things that we generally don't know enough about and are really complex. Cancer is so complicated. There is almost nothing we know about it, even with all the things we think we know. And I don't think you'd find an oncologist on the planet who would probably tell you to use an app like this, to be honest. I don't, I think you'd be very hard pressed to find like a cancer specialist. who would be like, you should use this app to lower your risk of cancer. (laughs) Oh dear. Okay. I mean, you'll find one off. You'll find, you'll find one somewhere and they're very loud and probably have a large social media following, but like the consensus within the community is definitely going to be. Yeah. Especially when you look, I mean, the app is funded by the companies that want to be on it. Correct. Right? Yes. 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 I mean, I feel like, sure, it's a, I get reading ingredients is tricky. I also think that there just needs this distrust of the FDA and what they've approved Mm -hmm. has kind of just become a bit of a witch hunt. Uh And Mm -hmm. if you want a low, if you want to be low stress about it, anything that's on your shelf in America, in Canada, in Europe, has been vetted. If you want to be really stressful about it, then go with European standards because they're a lot more stringent. Well, and so this is what I was going to say. And I think it's really interesting because in a lot of ways, you know, the U S is very, very friendly to businesses. And that absolutely means that they will default to things that kind of to exactly your point, like, so this is approved in America, but not approved in Europe. And I think that kind of feeds into like, there is a lot we don't know. And from what we do know, this body is saying this, which ultimately, you know, is probably first more inclined to look out for its citizens. Whereas we know in America, they're ultimately very protectionist of business. So mm-hmm. they'll default to what is a better choice for business. Sometimes in, in the face of not having data, where I think what happens more often Canada, I feel like lies kind of somewhere in the middle, but in Europe mm-hmm. anyway, um, is they'll default to, well, if we don't know, we're going to default to protection of the consumer versus the U S will default to protection of the business. Right. Yeah. And I think that if you're somebody who doesn't have the bandwidth to like live in fear over the stuff you're picking European standards, they do seem to be pretty good. Right. And I mean, I can see the value in an app like this that really details all of the ingredients. If you're like actively trying to avoid an ingredient because of like an allergy, you know, like, you know, like there's stuff in, you know, whatever that most people are totally fine with, but like maybe you have a sensitivity to, or it's, you know, it's been not, your dermatologist says, Hey, this is probably fine for most people, but your skin reacts badly with it, whatever, you know, in that case, I think that there's some merit to this, but I, I, love I don't love the moralizing the fear-mongering I don't love the inflammatory language mm-hmm. it's it's challenging and I also understand why they're doing it from a marketing perspective yeah. and also from like a customer use perspective because the average customer isn't going to necessarily know that ingredient xyz has been linked in like two studies that were done in specific lab rats in a lot know, of it's a, whatever a lot of it's like petri dish it's yeah, all like, right. yeah, it's all like in vitro stuff where they'll be like in vitro, da, da, da. And it that yeah. doesn't actually mean in humans. No. Oh dear. Okay. All right. Okay. Good. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. So, I mean, good. I mean, <laughs> I kind of feel like the, the gist of environmental working group is like, they're a big company. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They, 
in the nineties, like I think I wouldn't even argue they made some pretty good change in terms of uh, pesticide regulation. That's not a bad thing. Um, and I think that if you are somebody who has, um, expendable income and you are super interested in, um, you know, getting stuff that is, you know, more than a hundred times lower than the lowest pesticide tolerance level. And that's really important to you, then great. Um, but if you're a regular person, then inflation right now is uh, highly stressful, then mm-hmm. maybe don't worry about it so much and just eat yeah. some fruits and vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. E- eat your veggies if you can. And if they work for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's kind of like one of those things that it's like every, with a grain of salt. I don't think it's all bad. Uh, I think it, you could absolutely like rabbit hole it into something terrible if you really wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. And you could, you rabbit hole the other way if you wanted to. But if we're just looking in the middle, it's like, I could just, I could basically take all of this and and just uh, leave it and go get regular groceries at the grocery store. <laughs> well, totally. and it's interesting, especially talking about the food piece kind of lead to what you were um, mentioning earlier. It's like, again, how do we balance out the, you know, the needs of, uh, an increasingly warm climate with like, should we be tracking those bananas in from Ecuador or should Mm -hmm. we be supporting the farmer down the road who grows apples that may not be organic? You know, Mm -hmm. what is our larger 60,000 foot view as well as our individual, you know, needs and desires as humans, you know, if you have access to fruits and vegetables, in a way that works for you in your, you know, family's budget and also what they're willing to eat. Cause kids be be picky sometimes. Uh, Right. Yeah. Um, You guarantee if they eat a bunch of something, all you have to do is buy a bunch of it for them to stop eating it. Uh, totally hundred percent. (laughs) Right. Then, you know, you're probably doing the best that you can. And that's totally all that we can be asking for. You know, I just keep reminding myself, you know, things like, you know, the, total shit that we were fed in the eighties and like in the fifties when like, you know, boxed meals came out and you could like make cake with like Coke and jello, like <laughs> lived, <laughs> they're fine. It's okay. We've made it. It's all right. Yeah. Like <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing okay. You know, generally sorry. So, so that's, uh, that's the environmental working group. That's Thanks, it, Jenny. That was fascinating. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the uh, takeaway from this is be wary of apps that are funded by mega, by big org, big organic. (laughs) Watch out. They're the next thing to be afraid of everybody. so much for listening to meet me in the middle we really appreciate your support and if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast it would mean the world to us